0: join me in First Peter chapter 4. First Peter 4, if you're using the, the blue ESV Bible and the seedbacks out there, you can find our text on page 1016, thousand sixteen. First 1 Peter 4, 9, and the title of our sermon is Radical Generosity. We are now... Uh, Almost three-quarters of the way done with this series on the, the values of Redeemer Baptist Church. We're on week six out of eight, and, uh, and today we're considering the value of generosity. Last week, I concluded the sermon on gratitude by noting that gratitude by necessity means that we ought to be a receptive people. To be grateful for something, you must first receive it. Christians ought to receive good from the Lord as well as ill. And while we abominate the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers who turn God into nothing much more than a cosmic vending machine, We do not want to reject God's good gifts, believing that ill, sorrow, and suffering are the only things in this life worth having. Paul says, as we noted in 1 Timothy 6, that God has richly provided us everything that we have to enjoy. Of course, that statement raises a question. How do we know whether or not we are enjoying God's gifts as He intended them? How do I know whether I'm enjoying God's gifts to me a little too much? Well, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul goes on and he says that God provided us those things not only to enjoy them, but that we might do good, that we might be rich in good works, that we might be generous and ready to share. And so, are you willing to give away the good things that God has given you for the sake of others? Again, I'm not talking about rejecting them as bad, throwing them away wastefully. I'm talking about using the blessings of God upon your life with strategic purpose for the blessing of others. Are you willing to part with your stuff for the sake of other people and for Christ's kingdom? Those are the kinds of questions that we need to wrestle with together this morning. And before we get into 1 Peter, I want to very briefly set uh, set the scene of of what I want to do with this passage this morning. And I want to do that by way of another passage, 2 Corinthians 8. There Paul is describing the, the Macedonians and their generosity. And he says this, he he describes the generosity of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then unto us. Now, uh, when we think of the word generosity, uh, that of course has something to do with finances and money. And as Christians, that that means that we ought to be financially supporting uh, our local church. It's it's a crucial, non-negotiable aspect of the Christian life. And while all of that is true, I I want to think actually a little bit more broadly with you this morning about generosity. I'm not talking primarily about online giving or dropping a check in the, the boxes by The doors. I want to frame our discussion about generosity this morning not even really primarily in financial terms. But in exceptionally personal terms. The Macedonians, after all, were commended for giving themselves. And so rather than talking about giving money to the church, which again, if you're a Christian, you definitely ought to be doing sacrificially and joyfully as under the Lord. But what I want to consider with you today as we consider generosity is to consider a particular form of generosity that we need to embrace. I'm talking about hospitality. In some sense, these terms can be used somewhat synonymously. Generosity, uh, though, in my thinking, is, is something, it's much more of a disposition to donate or to give away, while hospitality is a friendly, even generous, reception of guests, visitors, and strangers. And so these things are intricately related. They are slightly different. And I want to talk about hospitality this morning because I think it's a particularly practical way that regardless of one's income, that we can exercise a commitment to being radically generous. Generosity is personal, but generosity in hospitality terms is exceptionally, explicitly personal. I can be generous by simply anonymously donating money to something, and that's well and good. But hospitality is something much more involved. And so that brings us to 1 Peter 4, 9. In this section of the letter, uh, Peter is is working out how Christians ought to live in light of Christ's suffering and death for us. He gives the exhortation in uh, chapter 4, verse 3 that the time is past. For living like the Gentiles in the passions of the flesh. He says, now is the time for pursuing the will of God. And he says, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he adds this somewhat remarkable verse. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This verse is very simple. (laughs) Simply stated. Short. Not difficult to understand what we're being asked to do. And yet, it is radically contrary to nearly every sinful impulse of the human heart. And so I want to unpack this verse with you Through three questions. What is it that God calls us to do? To whom are we called to do it? And how are we called to do it? So what are we doing? To whom are we doing it? How are we doing it? Those questions are our outline. So first, what is it that God calls us to do here? Peter writes simply, show hospitality. What is it that comes to your mind when you hear the word hospitality? Perhaps you think of the hotel and restaurant business industry. Maybe you picture yourself slaving away in the kitchen, sweating profusely, banging and clanging pots and pans together, desperately cleaning up the the more public spaces in your house, vacuuming the living room, scrubbing the guest bathroom, straightening up the back porch. All the while, your kids are making a mess behind you and your spouse sits on the couch doing nothing that you would ever describe as helpful. Perhaps the stress and pressure of peopling begins to inflict savagery upon your soul and various parts of your body, wearing you down to nothing where the only thing you want to do when you hear that knock on the door is to go take a nap. Maybe you don't really think about the Word that much at all. Maybe nothing comes to mind. A blank canvas. Maybe guilt. Maybe, though, you hear the Word and joy fills your heart. Whatever the case, whatever your association with the Word is this morning, I I hope to present to you today a vision for how we can become an increasingly hospitable congregation. After all, hospitality is exhibited and commanded multiple times in scripture. Paul says in Romans 12:13, "Contribute to the needs of the saints; seek to show hospitality." The author to the Hebrews says in chapter 13 verse 1, "Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers," For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Hospitality isn't just an important trait for God's people in general. It is that, but it's also a required characteristic of those who would be an elder. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. It's required for widows who would receive care from the church in their old age. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 that they must have shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, and cared for the afflicted. But beyond the precept, the command to be hospitable, the Bible also paints a very vivid picture of radical, generous hospitality for us. Patterned after God Himself. In Genesis... God plants a lavish garden in Eden. And He tells Adam and Eve at least eight times in the span of three verses that everything there is for them to use and enjoy, with one exception. If you read those verses in uh, Genesis one 28 through 28-30, he, he gives them dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Every plant yielding seed, every tree with seed in its fruit, every beast, every bird, everything that creeps on the earth, and every green plant were theirs to take dominion over, to use and to enjoy, to expand His kingdom. And so while there was one exception, one no in a world of yes, the Bible in no uncertain terms opens up with a vision of Yahweh, the hospitable God, making a home in the garden for His people that they may dwell with Him in fullness. And yet that lovely, wonderful world of Eden comes to a crashing halt in Genesis 3. After the misuse of God's good gifts in the world, sin has entered the world. Oh, it's a great metaphor here for salvation, but God is depicted as this open handed, generous God, and Jesus picks up on this theme in John seven, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow through him, flow from him. Jesus offers the life-giving generosity of God to flow to us and through us as we come to Him, receiving the salvation that He offers. In one sense, the Bible is the story of the hospitable God. The Bible revolves around God's generosity and His hospitality to mankind. God finishes in Revelation what He started in Genesis. To make a home for His people in which they may dwell with Him forever. Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. And of course, as Genesis anticipates, Revelation confirms, and the rest of the Bible unfolds, it is all through the most hospitable act imaginable in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, who left His home to come to ours, that He may bring about the hospitable ends and design of God to welcome a people into His fellowship. And so, as we are called to image Christ as His people, we are called to hospitality. Paul doesn't use the word, but listen to what he says in Romans fifteen seven. Welcome one another as Jesus Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we are commanded to show hospitality, which is patterned after God Himself, who has welcomed us through Jesus Christ and provided for our most important needs. So I want to attempt to to be very practical about this at the end of the sermon, but I want to move on to the second question. To whom are we called to show this hospitality? Peter says, show hospitality to one another. And so Peter is talking about fellow Christians. He's writing to Christians, those who have professed faith in Jesus and uh, have been brought into saving union with Him through faith. And so the one another here... And verse 9 refers to other Christians. But if we were to broaden our search a bit and think about the Scripture as a whole, we find that hospitality does not just involve other Christians, our best friends. It involves the strangers. We saw that when I quoted Hebrews 13, one and 2. It involves those who are in an, an utterly different social strata. Jesus says in Luke fourteen thirteen through 23, that when you have a feast, he says, don't invite those who can turn around and invite you to their party. He says, invite the poor, the crippled, those who could never make such returns upon your generosity. And if you really want to stretch the idea to include a fullness of of meaning here, what about our enemies? Paul says in Romans 12, 14 that we should bless those who persecute us. So our call to extend kindness and blessing to others doesn't terminate with the people that we know for all our lives. Not just those who are easy to love, but to anyone who is in need, whether friend, foreigner, or foe. Of course, depending on the category a person might be in, the exact nature of what hospitality looks like with them may be different. I'm not saying you ought to have your arch enemy who hates you more than anyone else in the world in your home, but maybe you should. So we show hospitality. Show it to anyone in need. And how are we called to do this? The third question. The manner in which we are to exhibit this hospitable spirit, Peter says, do it without grumbling." Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. So that means that hospitality and generosity to others um, doesn't look like giving your time, your energy, your home, your possessions, your creative talents, practical skills, and your words to a needy person all the while you are miserable and dying on the inside because you are operating primarily out of guilt shame, or some form of coercion. Right? Hospitality is others-focused. And so if you're constantly thinking, I've got to be a better host with better food, more comfortable seating and a cleaner house, and I resent all these people that are constantly in my house because it's wearing me down and I'm running out of anything to give, then there's a problem. We need to avoid viewing hospitality as a means to puff ourselves up and make ourselves... Look good. Your giving of yourself and your possessions to others is for the purpose of blessing them and welcoming them as Jesus has welcomed you so that they might come to know better or for the first time the radically generous hospitable God who is calling them to seek Him while He may be found. Not to earn The reputation as the best host, the hostess with the mostest, is not our ultimate drive. So, whether you broaden it out to just generosity in general, right? We're We're not talking here about giving more and more money to the church or some other Christian ministry through gritted teeth. We're not talking about signing up for the meal train to take a meal to someone in need with bitterness in your heart. We're not talking about inviting people over to your home, praying that no one will take you up on the offer. So what are we talking about then? Well, some application and some extended application for this ever-important principle. First thing to note, it's, it's called radical generosity. And by this, I don't mean something... Uh, that necessarily is going to get uh, an article written about you uh, or a book. Uh, it doesn't mean that this is going to, to change the world. But like I said earlier, it's radical in that it, it operates against the impulse of the sinful flesh. Our flesh wars against this call to be generous. Generous. And so it's worth considering a few things that hinder us in our pursuit of generosity. So I want to look at the obstacles to it first. One hindrance, of course, is pretty simple. Selfishness. We work hard for our keep and no one else really has a right to our stuff. You know, we often view our homes as our, our own little private oasis. Our little retreat center from the chaos of the world. It's a, it's, a, it's a castle that keeps out the, the barbarians. We have our garages, our privacy fences, our security systems. We'd have moats if we could afford them or get the needed permits. Maybe a dragon. Now look, I'm, I'm not condemning privacy fences. Fences make good neighbors in most cases. But think about what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, he forbids stealing. He says, let the thief no longer steal. But then he turns around and what does he say? He commands the thief, stop stealing, learn to work hard. Not so that you can simply provide for your own needs, but so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. And so while it is certainly... Not a sin in and of itself to have a security system in your house or a garage. Let's ask ourselves, with the things that we do have that do keep other people out, do any of these things reveal or promote selfishness in my own heart? I think it's, there's a good chance That we may find some selfishness somewhere deep down in there if we really look. But that's not the only hindrance we face. Another one is expectation. Maybe your life isn't marked by generosity, but it's not because you're stingy or because you don't want to share. But maybe it's that you fear what others will think of you. Your, your hosting skills, your kitchen size, your seating arrangement. Maybe it's unwieldy expectations that you place upon yourself. If that's you, allow me to unburden you for a moment. The rest of us have unswept and unmopped floors sometimes too. We have cobwebs in the corners. Our baseboards are also pretty much never wiped down. And we have things that always need fixed. Look, I'm not saying that we want our homes to be as cramped, messy, and dirty as possible when people come over. Unless, of course, you're planning a cleaning party. Then I guess that's the goal. But, But while the goal isn't to be as dirty as possible, I think some of us need to shake loose the idea that our homes must be ginormous, and spotless to ever have another person enter inside them. Think about the earliest Christians in the book of Acts. We saw there that each gave according to his ability. Paul makes clear in 2 Corinthians 8 9 that the generosity generosity is defined not in terms of skill or abundance of material possessions. He writes to the Macedonians in 8 and 10 2 Corinthians eight verse two, he says, "In a severe test of affliction, their—that um, is not the right word—and I'm not going to uh, figure it out. Let me read it real quick. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part." For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. And so generosity isn't about how how big your house is, or how good your food is, how comfortable your couch is. Or how clean the bathroom is. Generosity is about being free with what you have. And purposeful with what you have. For the physical and the relational and spiritual good of other people. So maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's unrealistic expectations. A third one. A third hindrance. Laziness. Maybe it's laziness. How much time do you you spend per week say, in front of a screen, entertaining yourself. I know that, like me, you would probably all answer something like, more than I should. Our, own home, our home isn't just a, a barrier, a castle to keep out a hellish world, but it's, we view them as places of relaxation, for kicking back, vegging out, and unwinding. And so the last thing I want to do after a busy day or a busy week is to have other people over to dirty up a house that I'm going to have to clean up in order to have them over. Right? It's messy now. It'll be messy when they leave, so let's just cut out the middleman, kick back, and put on a movie or show and fall asleep. So maybe it's it's laziness, but a fourth and, and final generosity killer is a, a big one and possibly the most prevalent one busyness. Our time is filled to the brim and overflowing beyond capacity with work, school, kids' activities, clubs, and other commitments. I would include hobbies in that list, but for many of us, it would be a dream to have even one single definable hobby. Let's face it, we, and talking about us broadly as the Western church, we are a selfish, fearful, distracted, and possibly above all, exhausted people and it's so overwhelming that there's nothing close to a clear path in our minds as to how we can do anything different and if that's if that's you if you're really feeling that then maybe you are running your life at a pace that is just unrealistic and it's killing you and yet if that's you, it likely feels like the brakes have been cut and there's just no way to slow down without crashing headlong into something. So what do we do? Well, we're going to think about motive for a second here and then method. The first thing that we have to do, whether you are a remarkably generous person and hospitable person or whether you would put yourself at the bottom of the list all of us can benefit from this. We need to embrace the importance of generosity in our lives beyond mere precept. I quoted Isaiah 55 1 through 3 earlier, where God is depicted as this open handed, joyful giver and host. But he continues the invitation to come and eat and drink, and he connects it explicitly to redemption in. Verses 6 and 7, he says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the righteous man His thoughts. Let Let Him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on us and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. When you remember, God is the most cheerful giver. He is hospitable and His generosity aims to restore broken sinners to relationship with Him. And so, we want our generosity to reflect His. And what's more, it's possible that it will. Remember what Jesus said in John 7, Come unto me if you are thirsty, and rivers of living water will well up inside of you. God's Spirit who empowered Jesus to welcome the outsider and the needy one dwells in you, believer. And He empowers you for similar commitments to radical generosity and hospitality that isn't content to just give your stuff, but to be like the Macedonians, to give your very self for the good of another. Or perhaps you don't know Jesus at all. Would you come to Him and find rest from this hospitable God And so be made like him. Well what are some methods? What are some things that we can do? Well the first thing, we need to pray. Let us pray for opportunities and pray for people. Walk around your neighborhood. Pray for your neighbors. Ask God to open doors for you to share your life with them. Not just so you can immediately tell them the gospel story, though that's not bad, but pray that you could actually share your life with them. Pray for the people sitting near you right now in this room. Or if you want to be really crazy, after the service, walk to the other side of the sanctuary And pray for the people over there. Pray for the irritating co-worker. Ask God to embolden you, to enable you to extend kindness and generosity to Him. Maybe that means having Him over in your home. Maybe it means bringing Him cookies on His birthday. So we want to pray, but we also want to speak. When you see your neighbor walking his dog or taking the trash can to the road, if you don't know his name, introduce yourself. Or if you do already know her name, ask her how she's doing. Or on that walk to the other side of the room, ask someone his or her name. And then go back and repeat that name. Hospitality in a lot of ways is about friendship. And, and on the note of friendship, Learning people's names, I want to set an expectation of grace here for a moment. Some people are really great at remembering names, some people aren't. But whether you're good at it or not, we can strive to show love to another person by finding ways to remember names. And as you've probably noticed, uh, we, we've been growing as a church a bit for the past few years, especially. And so I'm, I'm pronouncing a moratorium on sheepishness about forgetting people's names. Yes, that person has been here way too long for you not to remember his name. Yes. But starting today, you are free to ask someone his name judgment-free. Now is the time to figure out what to call him besides chief. (laughs) And let's be gracious to one another. Don't make someone ask you your name, right? Let's tell others our name, or make sure to to point out, you know, oh yeah, I was thinking of yeah David. He just walked by, you know. Tell other people other people's names. Let's let's help each other out here. So we want to pray. We want to speak. A, a third way to engage in hospitality is simply to be intentional and realistic with the stuff, skills, and time that you have. Right? I'm, I'm not talking about a gathering of 50-plus people uh, every week serving a five-course meal that would impress Gordon Ramsay. I mean, if you can pull that off, that's great. But for most of us, we might not be able to pull anything like that off. Maybe we could pull off once a month, maybe once a week, a simple gathering of of two or three families or two or three individuals with simple food that they ended up bringing most of it anyway. And maybe that's all too much. Maybe you hear me say that and you think there's no way. Well, maybe it's just thinking about something you're already doing and ask someone to come along. Bring someone else into it. Don't add another thing to your calendar. I don't want you stabbing me in the parking lot afterward. I'm not telling you to add something to your calendar. Find something you're already doing that someone can just tag along. You know, this is, this is a great opportunity, though, to reframe the way we view the Lord's Day. Now, I'm not saying you have to have someone in your home every single Sunday of the year. I'm not even really saying that you have to have someone in your home any Sunday of the year. But what I am saying, especially if the rest of your week is full, just way too full, then Sunday is a great time for you to regularly extend welcome to and receive welcome from others. Whether it be church members or church visitors or other Christians or non-Christian neighbors or co-workers, right? Even if you did just take one or maybe two Sundays a month, you made it a point to have two or three families or individuals in your home for Sunday lunch or Sunday dinner, you could bless somewhere, I think, if the math is right, somewhere between 25 and 50 people a year, minimum. And if that's too much, again, that's okay. Just find a family that does excel in hospitality, and ask for help say hey i want to be more hospitable can you can i shadow you can i partner with you can i support your hospitality in some way and of course we should mention that it's it's crucial that we resist the temptation to play favorites Right, look, look if, you're, if we're not inviting anyone to our house ever, if we're not doing anything to show kindness and generosity ever, then I suppose it is better to invite a long-term friend over than no one at all. But in a growing church, it's very easy to stick to the people that you know, because honestly, it is overwhelming to know where to start. It's not just one new person that I have to think about inviting over, it's it's Many new people that I have to think about. And so I don't know where to start. I get frozen, and so I just stick to what's comfortable. If that's you, we've got the monthly meal club. That could be a good way to get involved in meeting new people. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about is something that generally is grassroots work, where individuals and families are simply extending kindness, goodness, and welcome to each other and to others in our community. It's got corporate dimensions as well, though. I don't have time to launch into all of this, but briefly, let's, in the months and years to come, let's think we have this huge campus that we might be able to increasingly utilize for gospel minded hospitality to our neighbors. We already use it for a lot of things like homeschool groups, sports programs, but maybe there's more. And maybe you have ideas. I'm almost done. My point in all of this is not to, to guilt you into running yourself ragged, inviting people into your home every waking moment, running to some ongoing activity at the church every, every night of, of the week. Look, there are legitimate reasons and seasons of life that make these types of things hard but we do tend to make illegitimate excuses as well. You know your situation better than others. And if you really are maxed out, then maybe you just need to work on getting through this insanely busy season of life. But it is worth remembering that there's almost certainly going to be another busy season of life right around the corner. So for most of us, it's going to be to commit to doing something. It might be smaller than we like, but that's okay. And We can pray in that time that God will give us greater capacity, that he will help us to give more of ourselves for his kingdom. So, Redeemer Baptist Church, will you join me in a fresh commitment to be radically generous with our money, our time, our possessions, our energy, our lives, our very selves, showing hospitality to one another without grumbling, welcoming one another as Jesus has welcomed us for the glory of God. I pray that you will.